What's up, you guys? It's your host, Anna. Welcome to this week's episode on Undereducated. One of the things that I love the most about women's health is that it's always changing. Research is constantly changing the way we view our bodies, how we treat them, how we understand them. But this can also be one of the most frustrating parts about women's health. We don't know that much. So when you have a health issue, it can often be a total guessing game and a long road to find a diagnosis and solution. This is Anna's story. We dive into her crazy health journey that is riddled with multiple diagnoses on top of a moving birth story where she shares her experience with severe preeclampsia and her son's battle to ultimately stay alive. You won't want to miss this one. Tune in and let's get going. crazy birth story. We're going to jump into it and she's going to tell us all about it. So I'm going to just like introduce myself. Hey, hi guys. I'm Anna Newton. Um, I've had a fun little... Oh, also podcaster. She has oh, a podcast, yes. <laughs> Let's start there. Tell us about your podcast. Oh, okay. I have a podcast. It's called Let Them Vent and it's for basically anything that I want. Yes, um, it's so and good. It's just like a, a lifestyle podcast and so sometimes if I'm feeling like I want to be... I don't know, spicy on, or if I'm, or if I'm wanting to talk about something I've learned recently, it's just like an open-edited podcast. I'm not super consistent with it. <laughs> what we were just talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so much fun to do. I feel like the podcasting world is like we were just talking about this, but like everyone's super, like uplifting and kind and nice, and like even if you do something like we're talking about, like similar to someone else, everyone has their own take on it, and someone talking about it, it's all going to be different. Like two people can do an episode on like bad mother-in-laws and it's like (laughs) so entertaining and totally different and so I love that aspect of it and like I work full-time and I'm a full-time mom and so like the creativity I don't get as much in my job I love my job I do digital marketing but um I love the aspect of it and also I love to talk (laughs) I'm a very chatty person and so like this is like sometimes like it's good for me to go sit in my closet with my like episode and like just like just vent about all the things so your husband's like go record an episode yeah. actually i've had a long day like literally he's like okay you just go like record it because i feel like it's like he's like oh we've been talking for too long so just like go talk your <laughs> own ear off but then we all get to listen to it and it's fantastic so yeah. literally you guys if my like if my speakers aren't being blown out <laughs> half the time the like thing, you guys the audio <laughs> issues with podcasts so hard to figure out but here we are we're making it happen yeah it's making fine. it work it's hopefully fine. you can even hear me i'm like is this close enough i know Watch as I'm like I'm gonna be so loud or something by accident. Like, fine, because I don't need to build the mic. It's fine. I know, like I'm just loud as in general, and so like, oh. <laughs> no, it's fine. So, let's honestly jump in now to your health stuff. Yep. Because that's kind of the basis, obviously, of this podcast: women's health, motherhood, all the crazy things. <laughs> Start where. I mean, you were telling me you've been going to doctors for years because you've just yeah. always felt like off. Oh my gosh. 
it's like so awful so I feel like like with a lot of things the more and more I'm learning about my health the more and more I'm realizing that like doctors don't know a ton about women's health like like with a million different things I've been diagnosed with ADHD for years and when people I have a lot of friends that are recently getting diagnosed and there's a whole slew of women because when they studied ADHD they only studied men and so I'm I manifest it very similar to how guys do and so everyone's like oh she has ADHD but I have like a sister who has ADHD who didn't get diagnosed for years because she manifested in a different way and I also remember like when I was like if you look up pregnancy plus any symptom any symptom they're like that's normal and so, like, I feel like sometimes you get, like, gaslit in a lot of things. But, like, in eighth grade, I just had terrible stomach issues. And we are thinking, like, oh, like, maybe it's stress. And, like, you get, like, the, oh, maybe it's anxiety, a million different things. Mm-hmm. And, yes, you have a lot of hormones going on. But for years, I just tried figuring it out. I was, like, okay, maybe I need to be off gluten. I was off gluten for two years, but then I still had issues. And then I got tested for celiac in high school. And then they are like, but then they told me, like, oh, well, we don't know if your test was wrong or right because you – like we're off gluten when you got tested you're supposed to be on gluten and didn't tell me that (laughs) and so yeah I know all these awful things so then I was off gluten for a while and like I got married to my husband John and then like we just kind of realized like I was still getting sick and so he's like gluten's so good and I'm like this is so good and pizza and it's all the best things (laughs) you're like I'm done paying seven dollars for a tiny loaf of bread literally and so I'm gluten I have yeah so I'm like girl I no yeah no so like I was like I'm done and so I just I'm like I feel sick I would literally every single time I eat I would lay down I would feel so sick and I for years and so I was like whatever I'm just gonna eat my gluten because I feel sick regardless yes so then I just would have various different health stuff like I would have extreme fatigue I would get nauseous for no reason and it was just not fun um and then it was like in 2020 I believe that um I was scrolling on TikTok and I feel like TikTok is like kind of funny because it's just this funny community of like it started out like musically and like people doing dances and singing and trends but now I feel like it's really interesting it's this really cool community where people with chronic health issues can actually come together and talk about things Mm -hmm. and I came across all these videos about autism and I was like whoa this is weird like I feel like I resonate with this a ton my husband's like that sounds like you but what's so weird is like I've nannied kids with autism like I know tons of people with autism and I'm like I'm like I didn't see myself like that but then all of a sudden I'm, I'm meeting all these people that are female that are like they seem quote unquote like they fit in fine Mm -hmm. and um, maybe a little bit like sometimes socially unaware but not a ton and I was like oh my gosh I think I'm autistic and so I found um, I found it's really hard to find someone who can actually diagnose um, like an adult female because it's it's a specialty because they never studied females again like with ADHD they didn't study females they only studied males and so um, I found this person that would, like, is specialized. They call it, like, high-functioning autism. But um, essentially just, like, you're able to – you seem like you fit in just fine. But, like, mentally and, like, like with them health, like, a lot of things struggle. So I got diagnosed with that. And it's just – it manifests in a completely different way with girls. Like, people can be totally fit in. And, like, there's this whole slew and generation of people getting diagnosed because they're hitting this crazy burnout and they don't know why. And just because they've been, like, working so hard for such a long time. And, like, for me, when I have a conversation, if I'm not talking about something I'm interested in, it's super manual. Like, remember to make eye contact. Now look away. Now blink. Like, all these things Mm -hmm. I thought everyone had were on manual. Yeah. But – and so that was that journey there. But then I, like – so then later – well, maybe it's 2019, actually. I got diagnosed. I'm trying to remember. No, 2020. Then in 2020 was when I got pregnant. Nope. 20 – yep, 2020. And I just started getting super sick. 
and like I instantly like right off the bat was bedridden almost all the time oh luckily it was in COVID so like we all worked from home <laughs> like, so it didn't really matter <laughs> it didn't matter anyway. yeah and so like I had COVID during that which was not fun at all and they like made me take all these shots and stuff but like I had like lots of health issues, but I just didn't really think about it. Time like I had gotten so many doctors over the years where I'm like, they're like, oh, it's probably your like your thyroid. So I get my thyroid tested. There's nothing wrong. Oh, you might have diabetes. Get diabetes test. Nothing wrong. Like I have all these crazy things, and it's like I'm going through everything, and I have a million people telling me, oh, it's probably this, 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 this. So I get all these tests done like over and over again, and some doctors would be like, well, let's just recheck it because it might have been wrong. So nothing. So there's nothing, and then I get pregnant, and then I'm super sick, and I'm literally sleeping from 16 to 20 hours a day. And I go to the doctor, and I'm, like, telling him, like, hey, I'm throwing up all the time, and I'm sleeping 16, 20 hours a day. And he's like, oh, that's normal. And I just felt like... Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, normal to be exhausted, normal to sleep more than normal, yeah. normal to throw up. Yeah. Like, with a grain of salt. But yeah. 20 hours a day? No. Oh. Like, I'm like, bro, what? I literally would lay, lay in my bed, have tons of food next to me, and, like, I when I wake up, I would wake up and eat, go to the bathroom, drink water, and then I would work as much as I could, and then I'd go right back to bed. And it was so funny because, like, I feel like any time I look up any symptom that I was having, plus pregnancy, they're like, this is totally normal. Like, this is exactly what you're supposed to have right now. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, whatever. And so looking back, like, <laughs> and talking to my other, like, gynecologists after, like, they're pretty sure I had hyperemesis. That's what I'm saying is I'm like, um, were they not even clued into, like your pregnancy as a oh. diagnosis like and like there are so many things that obviously can happen to you when you're pregnant but like excessive vomiting that's a big issue which is like well they're like it's first with. trimester so it's fine and then I had it the whole time oh and gosh. I still have you it totally had HD girl like and it was crazy because it's like I couldn't keep anything down but like I gained tons of weight because my body was trying to be like like I'm just trying to reserve any th- calories I have for like the baby and so like I gained tons of weight my first trimester and then didn't my second trimester and then it was just like but I was still sick, like, the whole time, constantly throwing up. Like, I got really good at, like, the routine of being, like, I always had a throat bag on me. I always had, like, mouthwash, and, like, I had this, like, little, like, thing that you could smell that, like, it smelled like menthol, oh, so you just, yes, like, get rid of yes. the gross taste. But I, like, had it down to a science, and, like, I had a lot of friends that were, like, oh, pregnancy is so beautiful. And I'm, like, it's so cool what pregnancy is, but, like, they're, like, you just need to be positive. And I was, like, I was actually so positive about my pregnancy, and it was awful. <laughs> yeah. You're, like, um, do you hear me complaining? No. Yeah. But it was horrible. Oh my gosh, so bad. And like at that time, like my sister, like um, she was living with us for a little bit, and she was just like with me all the time, and she's like, oh my gosh, you were sick all the time, and I was just like a wreck. And I also couldn't breathe really well because I have like a retroverted uterus, and so it's flipped back towards your back. Mm -hmm. And so like when he was growing, he was growing up into my lungs, and so I didn't even look pregnant, which is like. I just look chubby. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Which like, is like the one like crowning thing where you're like, I have a cute belly. Like it makes yes. everything else worth and it. And people are nice to you. Yes. And people were not nice to me. I'm over here like waddling like a duck and people are like, are you okay? Like, uh. <laughs> They're literally like, you look so stupid. Anyway, so I like, no one listened to me and no one cared. And I had a neighbor that had hyperemesis and she was going in for IVs and all these different things. And it's like, looking back, I'm like, I should have been. Like I was yeah. so sick all the time. And like, I couldn't. I always, and then also on top of it, like, with autism, like, I have, um, luckily I, I met, like, I knew some people that, like, had had kids that were autistic in the community, um, but they're, like, normally, like, different sense when you're pregnant, you know, like, will make you, like, want to throw up. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that already normally, and so it's, like, it was, like, tenfold, and I couldn't eat anything, and then they were, like, I was throwing up so much, they gave me anti-nausea medicine, which made me more nauseous, mm-hmm. 
And so I had to, like, eat lime popsicles all the time mm-hmm. in order to, like, clear out the gross, I don't yes. know, taste. Yes. But that was kind of crazy. But I just didn't think anything of it because it, you look up, like, pregnancy and they're like, that's normal. That's normal. Yeah. Like, all these crazy crazy fun things <laughs> and so like it wasn't until like we went on our baby moon right before the end of my second semester and we're like we went to Disney World and I was feeling super sick but I was just like whatever and like I look back I'm like oh I had Braxton Hicks but I didn't realize it I had and I like I was just feeling sick and I was like super puffy like rice cheeks like crazy like my everything was just swollen and it was almost like I look back at photos and I was like I went from like nothing like I looked like barely pregnant and then all of a sudden like my face was just like triple the size I was just gonna say was it like all of a sudden swollen yes like, overnight kind mm-hmm. of a thing? Okay. to the point where like I was wearing an eye mask and then it shifted overnight and it was like kind of putting pressure in your face I had dead in my face <gasps> wow. and I just like didn't think about it and I laughed about it and sent it to my mom and I and I got a ring stuck in my finger and I had almost had to go to the ER to get taken off but luckily we got it off but, like, I just get back from the trip, and I was just like, whatever. It's just cause, probably because of the heat. Yes. And which, like, TBH, the doctors would have been like, girl, you're almost done with being pregnant. Yeah. You're probably swollen. It's normal. Yeah, it's totally normal. And my mom was like, Anna, I think you should go in because, like, that kind of swelling, yeah. edema. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I literally called it, like, enema <laughs> earlier. <laughs> I was like, I get those confused. <laughs> I'm like, literally, I had so much enema. I'm like, what? Um, but, yeah, two different things. But, like, my mom's like, you should go in. And I'm like, Mom, it's totally fine. Like, you look, research this, and it's everyone's this normal. But I did go in for a 28-week appo- appointment because they were like, okay, you." I had COVID when I was pregnant earlier with him. And they're like, we're just going to track his growth. And he was measuring even smaller before. Like, originally he was measuring, like, a week and a half small. But, like, that's pretty typical for, like, a lot mm-hmm. of babies. Yeah. And they can't even, like, totally measure super accurately yes. when you're a little, they're really small. That's why your due date is, like, two weeks, give or take. Exactly. Like, no, this is just an estimate. We don't <laughs> yeah. know. But for him to already have been measuring small, they're kind of like, okay, we need to keep an eye on this. Yeah, with and with co- me having with COVID. With COVID, okay. Yeah. And by the way, like, they did not know what to do with me. Like, yeah. like I, I had say, COVID. That probably was, like, having been on the medical side of it, where, like, anyone who had COVID, they had, like, all mm-hmm. these separate things that we had to do once, like, the baby was born and, like, Research is still happening, trying to figure yeah. out how to deal with moms that have had COVID. Yeah. But I bet being in, like, the thick of it in oh my gosh. <laughs> the middle of the pandemic, people were probably just, like, how freaking do we even out. handle you? Yeah. They were freaking out. It was so funny because, like, it was, it was like, my first – end of my first trimester when I had COVID. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we've had some cases of moms getting blood clots, and so we really need to put you on blood thinners. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, because I had COVID, whatever. And so – but they couldn't see me for a little bit because I had COVID, obviously. But they're like, okay, we're, we prescribe you this medicine. Go pick it up. They prescribed me shots. I was going to say your Lovenox shots yep. probably though, in your belly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bruising, yes, terrible. Everywhere. And so I did it all, and it was like my husband was super sick, and my sister was with him, living with us at the time, and she was super sick. And so I would like make my rounds around giving everyone medicine, and I would just go lay down in bed. Oh, my gosh. And like I would like fist bump my stomach, and I was like, I'm like, we got this <laughs> little thing. Like, <laughs> we did it. Oh, and then also I had a weird thing too because I got, I got a DNA test to see what it was, boy or girl, and they said it was a girl. Oh, no. Yeah. So up until 20 weeks, I thought it was a girl. And because and they said that if it says it's a boy, there's a chance that, like, there could have been male DNA mixed in. Because, like, they're checking your blood for male yes, DNA. for male DNA. Mm-hmm. And if there's, if there's, if it says it's a boy, there's a chance that it could be inaccurate. Because what if your husband or if there's a male around that it maybe got mixed in? Yes. But if it says it's a girl, it's always 100% accurate. And they stayed by that. And I, I, I called them up after my, like, we had prepped for having a girl. We had girl names. We had all these different things. Half my pregnancy. Like, I guess it was more than that. But, like, anyway, so then I, we get, 
go in and they're like, no, it's definitely a boy. And she's like, I've been doing this for like 30 years. Like, this like is a boy. I know this is a bro. <laughs> she's like, there's his penis right there. Yeah. And you're like, and, you can't miss this. And I'm like, wait, what? And so then, then I like call the company. They're like, no, ultrasounds are wrong. We're totally right. So until you send us like a birth certificate, we're going to like, we're not going to refund you or anything. So that was crazy. So I thought it was a girl at that point. But then later on, I found it was a boy. But then, anyway, sorry. Fast forward to 20 weeks. They're like, we need to have um, checkups for you. We just we make sure he's measuring everything because yeah. of COVID. We make sure everything. Oh, and then with the Lovenox shots. Found out I didn't even have to get the Lovenox shot. They could have prescribed me a pill. Mm-hmm. And also the doctor said, oh, why did they prescribe you that? You are the tail end of your COVID. You didn't even need to do that. And I had bruising for yeah. like weeks, weeks on my I'm stomach. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I go in and they're like measuring everything. He was already a week and a half behind. And they're like, okay he's actually it's not good like I could just tell on her face like he's he's three weeks behind he's teeny tiny at that I was 28 weeks at that point and like just barely 28 weeks and they're like he's the size of 25 weaker super teeny tiny and they were really concerned about it and I could just see on her face and I'm like oh my gosh what does this mean anyway right before she's about to leave she's like oh shoot I forgot to like take your blood pressure that's just like a the typical thing you do at every appointment standard every appointment yeah and so she takes my blood pressure and then all of a sudden her face drops more and I'm just like what's going on and she, like, rushes out real quick, and the doctor comes back in and is like, hey, um, your blood pressure is crazy off the charts right now, and so we're actually going to admit you to labor and delivery just to, like, check up on stuff, because I think you might have preeclampsia. And I was like, I'd heard about preeclampsia, but no one in my family's ever had preeclampsia, and, like, I just didn't think of it. Yeah. And I've never had, like, I didn't have, I was, my blood pressure's always been on kind of even the lower end, and so it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. And so they admit me, and then th- what they're like, we're not even sure if you're going to stay. And so I was sitting there for an hour, and they take my blood sugar, and they're like, hey, I think we're just going to meet you overnight. Then they start getting into it, and then they're like, okay, actually, so your blood pressure is crazy high, and you have terrible preeclampsia, and it's usually not this early, so we'll, you're going to have to be bedridden until you give birth. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, three months bedridden, like, completely, like, like, can't even I get out? Cannot. Oh, <laughs> I was dying. And then they're like, oh, and by the way, yours is so high, you're, you're not only going to have to be bedridden, you're going to actually be bedridden at the hospital because we have to monitor you because if we send you home there's a chance this is gonna get worse Mm -hmm. and they put me on magnesium to lower my blood pressure horrible yeah and they oh (laughs) feels awful i I was so bad for the mag moms i'm just like i want to give you a hug and just suck all that mag out of your body you feel like you're like like induced coma literally like and i couldn't even sleep on i was just like mm -hmm. in a daze Mm -hmm. and i was on a million other things too yes but then they're like yeah so we're gonna actually keep you here for three months and I was like oh my gosh this is crazy and I was they started me on mag on that Monday and I did not get on off mag I was on a constant mag and they're like this isn't typical but your blood pressure is so crazy we can't get under control like we're gonna keep you on mag that's crazy that they couldn't get you to a stable range because yeah. I feel like it takes like I don't know a good like 12 to 24 hours and they're able to like yeah. titrate you off for a little yeah. bit because it's horrible yeah you know but for them to not even be able to bring you down Mm-mm. that's wild yeah, like, as soon as they would try to take me off, I would spike back up, and it was I wasn't even really getting in the stable range, and they were always, like, really scared out. I was going to have, like, seizures and mm-hmm. stuff and turn into eclampsia. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, eclampsia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you can't go eclamptic, and you can't come back from it. And so, like, seizures and then, you know, like, is it brain bleeds or something? Anyway, you could die. Uh, there's all different things. Yeah, yeah, it becomes, like, essentially it becomes really, really serious when you go through eclampsia, and then it can progress to something called Elk syndrome, which is just where, like, all of your organs lengthen to die it's really crazy so like you were in a range where they're stressed oh like this girl is very volatile we could have this turn south in two seconds like oh yeah like i can't even imagine nurses were almost never leaving my room yeah 
like I was I had monitors on Teddy like my my baby in my stomach but like um <laughs> that's my child's name um and I had I had monitors on me constantly and people constantly coming in like almost like it was crazy I had a constant blood cuff mon- monitor on me I had all of the works hooked up to me and I wasn't allowed to leave the bed and then they they were like okay just let you know I with how bad it is we're gonna try to get you to 34 weeks and I'm like oh that's not great because I'm like that's early yeah. and I don't want to give birth early yeah. and then they they're giving me all the risks for 34 weeks they're like well technically this isn't developed and this isn't developed this isn't developed and so I'm sitting there like oh shoot this is scary um and then um at the time with COVID they said you can only pick one other person besides your husband to, to come visit you mm-hmm. and um so I had a, my mom and she was amazing because I'm like I'm gonna be here for three months I'm like who's gonna be able to yes. like even come in and out like it's <laughs> crazy so then, um, then a little bit later, the doctor comes in and he's like, just let you know, you're doing so terribly, uh, you're not going to make it to 34 weeks. We're going to try to make it 32 weeks and here's all the risks and like ha- the percentage of survival. This is the different health things that could happen, all these different things. And they're talking about everything that's being developed and stuff like that. And they're like, he's a size of 25 weeker at the moment, but cause he's just so little, but then they all of a sudden like it was like a little bit later they're like okay actually we're really really nervous and so they came in and they were like we're gonna give you like two steroid shots in your butt that help develop the lungs so it's like one of the last Mm -hmm. things that develop Mm -hmm. and so they're like let's at least just try to get that in i'm like wait hold on what's going on they're like you're you could give birth at any moment and we're like whoa and apparently i'd been contracting like crazy but like i had a my blood pressure was so high that i had like the worst migraine like felt like my my brain was being split open and so So you like i I'm sure you couldn't even feel the contractions no. in comparison to everything else that you're dealing with. Oh, I couldn't feel them at all. Yeah. Like, I literally, she's like, you can't feel them. And she's like, you're in full-blown labor. And I'm like, no, I can't feel this at all. Mm-hmm. And, like, my head was hurting so bad. Like, it, it literally felt like someone had taken, like, a white-hot axe on me and just, like, split my brain open. Like, I was in so immense amount of pain. And then for a little bit, we got those two steroid shots in, which, which is, like, super great to help develop the lungs. Mm-hmm. But then I, all of a sudden my blood pressure started going down. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I can chill for a bit. And then I woke up the next morning. It was Thursday morning, so I'd been there for a couple of days. And I just knew I was going to give birth that day because I had the splitting migraine again. And I'm like, my blood pressure didn't go down. They couldn't stabilize it. And so I called the doctor in, and they're like, yep, we're going to give birth in a couple hours. And we would have, they're like, we're not going to do it naturally um, because he's so little that he would die because yeah. um, he was like one pound, 12 ounces, I think, at the time. And so we're like, we're going to do C-section. So – it was actually a very um, peaceful time. I was really surprised. I have major anxiety about birth. Mm-hmm. I literally hired a doula so I wouldn't give a C-section, and I'm, here I am in the C-section. <laughs> but it was actually hey, like, yeah. before we keep going. Like that is, I just want to say like it's fine. Yeah. Because I feel like so many moms. Oh, I loved it. Come, I I know. I'm like I'm really glad your experience is one that you love. Yeah. I feel like a lot of moms really do like go in with this expectation of like this is what my birth yes. needs to be, and like I hired a doula so that it mm-hmm. would be this way. Or, like, I filled my room with all the people I want to be there, yep. and, like, this is how it had to be, and then it's not. And mm-hmm. it's, like, this extremely negative, traumatic, Ugh. anxiety-ridden experience for the mm-hmm. rest of your life, you know? Yeah. And I'm, like, I just think it's so powerful <laughs> to vocalize that it's fine that yeah. it didn't go the way you anticipated. And, obviously, you have a very extenuated circumstance where it's, like, no, but that was totally factors, true. But, you know what I mean? Like, it's good. I'm validating you because you need it. Not that you need my validation. No, no, like, no. To have someone be like, girl, you still had your baby and he got here. You know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh. For me, that was huge when someone said that to me. So I'm just like, I pass that on to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I mean, there was that feeling of like, my body's failing. Yeah. 
Um, but like, I totally agree. I think that's like, I've a lot of my friends that have had really traumatic experiences with birth. It's they had the plan. This is how it's gonna work, and it didn't go back to plan. And so what I was told by my doula is she's like, plan of what you want, and then throw it out the window essentially. She's like, she's like, because we're we're gonna can try to do all the things, but it, like it might not go that way. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually really peaceful that moment uh, that morning, and I was with my mom, and we were praying a lot about stuff, and like I just felt very peaceful. I'm like, he's coming. And we had no clue. Like, I I was in such a, an extreme range. They literally could not get my blood pressure down that I was, like, every time I looked up, they had all the nurses running in because they thought I was seizing up. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they're, like, it just went. Blood pressure kept going up and up and up and up, and it wouldn't go down. And um, for those of you who don't know, maybe you said this in your episodes before, but, like, preeclampsia, the only cure for it is birth. So they can try to manage it. So a lot of people will get it like 36 weeks on, 38 weeks on, and it's fine to just go give birth yes. because their baby's mostly developed. Yeah. And so in my case, they're just trying to keep me as long as possible to try to give them more development time. But we go in and I give, I, I go into the operating room and my mom couldn't come with us and she was super stressed out because like they didn't not, they didn't know if I would die on the table. Like it was, it was really intense. Um, and it was frustrating for me because it's like, you don't want to be worrying about yourself. You want to be worrying about your baby. And, like, worrying, trying to worry about, like, your health was really frustrating. And so John couldn't even come in with me at the moment because for some reason he had been there for a week, but they hadn't tested him for COVID. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so they tested me the first day, but they, but since it was just me and him in the room, like, they didn't test him for whatever reason. So then, like, we have to do your COVID test right now. So I go in, and I have to get a full spinal tap without him, get prepped for the surgery. And, like, it, luckily the nurses were so nice, but, like, it was so stressful. And, like, the guy who, like, did my spinal tap made a joke about paralyzing me. And I'm like, (laughs) not the time. Just do my epidural and let me lay down. I'm so done. And so like in like spinal tap, I believe it's like, it's like from like your chest, a little bit below your chest all the way down, Mm -hmm. completely dead numb. Yep. And like the point where it's like my legs are meat sacks and I can't feel them at all. Like I I had to be carried over to the table. And so then like, um, I didn't feel anything, but then my husband was finally able to come in before they started. Thank heavens. And he, he reads me Harry Potter every night. It's, like, how I relax. And yes. so, like, he brought in Harry Potter, but I, I leather-bound them, and so they look like a Bible. <laughs> and they're, like, someone's, like, oh, are you reading her the Bible? And he's, like, literally, no, I'm reading Harry Potter. <laughs> he's, like, no, and then Dumbledore came in. <laughs> and I literally. And so, I mean, all the nurses loved it, too. But um, but That's then. actually so tender, too, oh. though. I'm, like, wait. It was really cute. It was so nice, because, like, I was able to get my mind off it, because the biggest thing is with my anxiety, like, if I focus on things too much, it freaks me out. Yeah, yeah. And so the biggest thing I told the guys, I'm like, don't tell me what's going on behind the curtain. I will freak out. Mm-hmm. And the same guy who made a joke about paralyzing me decided to tell me, hey, now we're cutting you open. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing this. And my husband is not that confrontational. But he literally was like, I need you to shut up right now. He's like, she does not want to hear yes. this. Like, I was already Go feeling John. so sick. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you. And so he stopped talking about it. And it, it essentially, it didn't feel like much. Like, it felt like when a dog jumps on your stomach and it feels a, little, a lot of pressure. Okay. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Like, that's, that's how I describe it. description, honestly. We always try and explain that to moms because it's like, you're not going to not feel anything. Yeah. You still have sensation, but yes. you shouldn't feel pain. You know exactly. What I mean? And so when moms, like, feel pressure, they're always like, um, I can feel, I can feel it. Yeah. Like, no, that's normal. That's yeah, they're like, that's, this, I can feel it. Something's not, like, this, I need more yeah, medicine. I need more meds. And I'm like, yeah. no, that's actually really good that you can feel it. Like, it's fine. Yes. But exactly. Like, the pressure. Really explain it. And so it was not painful at all. And they get the BBF out in, like, three minutes. Yeah, like, so quick. quick. So they pulled him out, and I remember asking if he's okay, and just everyone was hushed for, like, a long time. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, he's one, one pound, four, 14 ounces, um, and they took a little while to stabilize him, and I just kept asking, like, is he okay? But I remember when they, they prepped me before, they said he's not going to cry when he comes out, just to let you know he's so unstable. Mm-hmm. And he did cry, and I remember just crying when I heard that, because I'm like, that's a good sign. Yeah. 
Um, but they, but then they had to go into debate him and stabilize him because he was not doing well. Um, and then I was able to see him for a second before he was up to the NICU, and he was pretty scary looking. I mean, like he's perfect because my child and he's this little cute baby, but like they have no like muscle they have no no fat on them whatsoever he didn't even have a bum for months yeah. <laughs> like it literally was just like just a little like a hole little <laughs> yeah and so but I remember feeling like oh that's so great I'm so glad to see him and then and then my husband um I I think they were stapling him at the NICU and then my husband was able to go see him after I was stitched up because he was staying with me while I was stitched up mm. and I got stitched up got sent back to the room um but I remember the most frustrating part about everything is just like I still wasn't getting better and for days and days, I actually was getting worse, which they were really confused about because it's supposed to, they're like, oh, ha- is if she already transitioned? delivers and you should yes. hopefully return to, like, your normal range yes. fairly quickly. Yeah, and I w- they couldn't figure it out. And I was so frustrated because I was trying to figure out, you know, is my son going to live or die? And they couldn't tell me that for months. But, um, like, I didn't want to worry about my own health. So I he was in the NICU. I was, in, I was at the hospital for... I believe two weeks after that point, just because they wanted to keep an eye on me because I was not getting better. And, but we'd visit him in the NICU. He was in, like, he had it intubated for a while. Um, and then he was in the NICU for like two months total, which is crazy short I was say, amount of time. not long. No, 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 no. Especially just because, like, just to give people context, 24 weeks is like viability. Mm-hmm. That's where people, like, medical professionals just say, like, we will put life saving measures into this yep. baby. And for Teddy, obviously he was delivered at 28 but he was like a 25 but he was a 25 like i'm like he was barely at the viable like yeah his skin was see-through yeah. like it's like it's crazy how little he was like we literally have pictures of him next to a dollar bill he's like the size of a dollar bill mm. like he's so little and we couldn't touch him i remember like the weirdest things like we couldn't touch him for the longest time like for like a a week I feel like before we could even hold him and they're like we need you to stay in the skin because that's really good for them but like we have to wait for his skin to develop you're not even they said they talk about like um soft pressure like don't stroke their skin because they burn too many calories this is crazy all the different yes. little things and we measure his weight gain in grams mm-hmm. and half the time it was like oh well he gained 20 grams oh wait it was just his diaper <laughs> and so it's like, <laughs> like dang it I know and so it's crazy so like I was there for two weeks in the hospital and I think the hardest part for me was going home because it's so weird leaving my son there mm-hmm. and like not knowing sorry um like what would happen like obviously he's in the best place possible for his health but like leaving and we didn't live that far away from the hospital but like every night was so hard because I'm like I just didn't know if I was gonna get a call and there was plenty of times when he was in the NICU that um he actually flatlined while I was there and it was really intense and um the nurses would try to play it off a little bit because they didn't want to freak me out but um I was just, like, sitting there a couple times being, like, I just watched my son die. And it's just so hard. And then also, like, my health wasn't doing well, and I was so frustrated. And I ended up back in the ER even after I left the hospital. And for my blood pressure, because it was so extremely high, and they could not get it, get it figured out. And I remember just feeling so frustrated. And I remember, like, asking. It was, like, he was there for, like, a month and a half. And I remember asking a NICU nurse. I'm, like, is he going to live? And she's, like, doesn't you can't promise anything because you don't know because someone who's super healthy in the NICU could get a virus and something could happen and she's just like well right now he's looking okay he was still like after a month being there he was only two pounds and they um they just were talking about how like I can't promise you that he's going to live and then they were going over a million different things like well he's a really high chance of having cerebral palsy he's a really high chance of being blind or deaf like all of these different things and I'm like I don't care about that I just want to know can I be his mom like 
and it wasn't for a really good time that they could even tell me that maybe he'd even survive and so that was really hard because it, like, it was hard um going home and leaving him knowing if that was like last time or not and so I started posting a lot of it on social media for myself kind of as a journal mm-hmm. kind of thinking that it would be um like a documentation of his life because he's probably gonna die soon um and I remember feeling like oh, very mad at my body because I was so sick during pregnancy and I felt like I failed him because I had seen him so little struggling in the incubator and like he's in an incubator and just like I could just tell like, like he would be so much more comfortable inside me you know I mean like they're supposed to grow inside you mm-hmm. and they say that like one day of development in your womb is equivalent to like three or four days in the NICU like you just can't give the same amount of care mm-hmm. and so I was just it was so heart-wrenching to see that but um, we tried to do as much of, uh, I was really lucky I was off on maternity leave at this point in time. And um, they, um, I was, they're like, do as much skin to skin as you can. And they tend to breed better when you're doing skin to skin. He was on oxygen for a long time. But um, it's kind of interesting because, like, not everyone knows exactly, like, what you're going through. Like, I remember the nurse who discharged me from the hospital. She was, like, kind of scoffing at me a little bit that I was, like, crying, leaving my child behind. And she's like, and then when she loaded me in the car after being with me for a lot she's like you'll see him in two days like he's gonna come home in two days and I was like oh she thinks I'm one of those moms it's like I'm like obviously sending your kid to the NICU I don't wish upon anyone for even a day it's it is awful mm-hmm. but she's like oh she thinks that he's fine he's coming back to I'm like oh she doesn't realize that like he could possibly die and so it's kind of like oh she doesn't get it yeah. but and it's hard too because then you have people reaching out to you being like I know exactly what you're going through I had preeclampsia and it was like I mean, like, I have people that actually had very similar stories to me, and it was nice to connect to that. But it's it's really hard having someone reach out to you saying that. And I'm like, yeah, but you also had it at 38 weeks, and your baby was totally fine, and you didn't even have to stay in the NICU. And so it's like, you can relate to me, but don't say, I know exactly what you're going through, because I'm like, your son is five years old and healthy. And so I'm like, I didn't know if mine would live. And so I remember feeling frustrated at that, which is silly, because people are just trying to – I know now, it's like, they're just trying to relate and be nice and yes. kind. But it's also so valid that, like, you can experience the same thing as someone else. But your experience is so different. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I and I tried to really think about that too, because as as there's different moms that I, we had in my area that like really close by had similar situations, babies in the NICU, like um, relating to them in the ways that you can, but not saying I totally understand what you're going through because totally. it's all different. Mm-hmm. But um, so I did as much skin to skin as I possibly could um, with him, and I would the point where like I would like go there, I would sleep, and I would go go up to the NICU, and I for like 12 hours would hold him skin to skin as long as he was stable. And um, they think that, like, he was... I was going to say, that probably made the biggest difference. Oh. Like, I'm, like, made him thrive. Oh, <laughs> they they 100%, like, they've seen, like, not some moms are no not close to the hospital or they have other kids they have to watch. I was very blessed. I didn't have any of that. So I just spent all my time there. And they, like, he wasn't gaining weight quickly, but he s- was doing so well and they were shocked. Like, all these... I remember there's all these different babies around him and... I mean, like, every once in a while you'd see, like, I think they're, like, a, like, is it grade two or grade three? It's, it's, the NICU was, like, a grade, basically, where the only, they could handle everything except for, like, extreme heart stuff, which just handed up to primary mm-hmm. children's. Mm-hmm. And so, it's interesting, like, when you're in the NICU, it's best just not to compare yourself, because you'll have a kid next to you that will be there for two days and leave. Mm-hmm. Or you'll have a kid, and, like, and the only ones that were like Teddy, um, like, they got shipped off to primary children's because they had the heart stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and he had brain bleeds at the beginning, 
and all these different things and they eventually went away on their own which is like a miracle and all these crazy things that were happening and I was just reading for like the specific NICU because we're at temp and they do a specific kind of pressure where they never let the lungs close all the way they just kind of vibrate Mm -hmm. and not all NICUs do that and when your lungs are so underdeveloped they're they're very sticky and so like babies can have lung collapsing really easily Mm -hmm. and so he didn't because he was constant constant pressure so that was a blessing but also like the time that I spent just like holding him all the time they think that's like what helped him get so much better like he wasn't bigger but he was doing really well mm. and John would come and read him Harry Potter all the time and all like the nurses would love it and stuff because John does all the voices yeah. and like it's great yeah. but it was I mean it was a rough time it feels like a almost like a different life yeah. like it just all of a sudden everything else is on pause and I don't even like really remember totally everything everything was disconnected and like during those time like when you're going through such an emotional hardship like it was so weird because like doing something as simple as like texting someone felt like the hardest thing to do in the world mm-hmm. like I would keep my mom updated and then she would talk to anyone else and like or John would and like but like my my way of communicating with people was like posting on social media and like, like it was for more for myself but it was just my way of being like this is what's going on but I do not want to talk to anyone yes. separately <laughs> like yes. you're like don't text me read my Instagram post yeah don't talk to me I had no energy at the time mm-hmm. and then like I think I was fine and I'd be like well I'm doing this and I'm fine and then I remember me and John went to Target and there was a mom in the other aisle with like a baby and the baby starts crying and it's hard when your baby's like you have a newborn baby and stuff like that and I remember she was getting frustrated and I just started I broke down crying so it was just like so triggering being like I only wish that could be me um and like even just driving if we had to go on an errand or something like driving past the NICU and not going to see him was like heart-wrenching um but we were really lucky he had a brain bleed resolved itself um he um like came home and it was the smallest they've ever let out baby because you can you can't legally discharge a baby smaller than a certain amount he was four pounds five ounces and it's you have to get a specific yeah so small (laughs) half the size of most newborns and literally though and like my second child was like eight pounds yeah like literally half the size. I see newborns now and I'm like wait that's a newborn like like what like what literally (laughs) or like people six months old and they're like the size of my like one and a half year old I'm like wait what (laughs) and so it's like crazy but like um he we had to get a special kind of like um the uh, car seat yes and like that could that could go down to four pounds and they have to do a car seat test and so he went home on oxygen which we're really grateful that they allowed us to do that because sometimes they don't allow you and he was on oxygen for I think two months after that but on very low flow because he didn't need much, but he just needed a little bit of reminder. And also, like, something we, we've learned a lot of crazy things in the NICU, but, like, they have to give him caffeine because they they don't remember to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> so you, they give little, like, preemies like, caffeine. Like, them, wake him up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's crazy. But um, so he passed his thing, and then they, you do, like, a test overnight um, in, like, a room to see if, like, he, you can handle having him overnight. And he had a, a, a oxygen monitor hooked up to him all the times. And then I also put an outlet on him all the time. But we were able to bring him home after, I think it was, maybe it was 80 days total. I'm trying to remember the exact. It was either 60 or 80. I think maybe it was 80. But but still 80? So small. Coming from a 25-weeker? So small. tiny. I have friends 120 days, 150 days. But really? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like normal. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like that is to be expected. Yeah. For him to have come out so quick. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. We didn't expect it at all. Like they said, they said we're gonna shoot for his due date, which was I gave birth in March eleventh, twenty twenty one. He was due end of May. Okay. And so he was like three months early. Yeah. And so, um, 
and like it was either end of it was like around end of May, but he, they were probably thinking, oh, since he's small, he's probably gonna be beginning of June, right? Anyway, so we gave him like birth like three months early, and then like he he came home, and it was like the biggest breath of fresh air ever because it's like, but then also this anxiety came over me because I'm like, it's so hard to leave your child and like not know what's going on. And the NICU was great, like all the doctors, they're very tender, but they don't sugarcoat things. They tell you, hey, your child has this percentage of survival. Hey, your child's most likely going to be like this. Oh, well, it's looking good today, but they don't they don't get your hopes up. But they do it in a very gentle way. And I was really grateful for the do- those doctors. But he comes home, and I realize, I'm like, oh, no, it's me now. <laughs> I'm responsible. Yes. And, like, I recovering from a C-section was so easy without a child. <laughs> and I'm like, people, like, joke about it. I'm like, I'm obviously, I would prefer to have him home. But, um... He was where he needed to be, and then all of a sudden he's home, and I was like, oh, no, I have to be the one responsible for him. And then I think it was, like, less than a month after that, um, he started having complications, and we had to admit him to the ER. And I remember feeling so frustrated because they kept trying to put an IV in him, and they had never done it on a spy. He was a five pounds at that point. They had never done it on a five-pound baby, and this guy's like, I'm going to try to figure this out. I'm like, I please don't. I don't want you to. So he had blown out, and he had no medicine at the time. So he's sucking on his binky, just sobbing. He's the smallest, tiny little guy in the ER. And he had blown out – the guy had blown out arm veins, hand veins, like the, like all these different veins. So they finally call in the NICU, and they they all know Teddy. They've, he's been there for forever. And they're like – they were furious because they're like, you should have called us from the beginning. They had to do a cranial IV, which they don't – it's not ideal because, like, you know, you have to, like, paper mache it to their head. Yes, like. Yeah. Yeah, and so I remember he was just crying, but he was just a little um, total trooper. And he had an inguinal hernia, which is like when your intestines, like they slip down into your like um, uh, your uh, your ball sack. That's like what's yeah. a nicer way of saying yeah. that. <laughs> like where your testicles are. Yeah, and so there you go. That's the word I was looking for. The ball sack. Really <laughs> ball accurate. sack. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so then he had that, and they knew about it, and they knew we probably would have to get it fixed. But like we just it's you have to schedule it far in advance and you have to it's a microscopic surgery and so like you have to have a specialty doctor and luckily there wasn't one at the hospital but he stopped eating and was throwing up everything and was wanting to eat but it was just in so much pain that we he got admitted and then they were really scared that he had um a bowel inception mm-hmm. where like your bowels collide uh, kaleidoscope in on itself or twist or stuff like that and so they gave him an enema <laughs> that's the right word and but with with an x-ray to see if it was there but then also that's also the cure for it but then he was still really sick and so they actually just planned for his um surgery right then so he was in the hospital for like a week and a half then and it was like so hard because we had just left and like we we're like wanting to be home but he was always like the best like most positive baby ever it sounds so funny to say but like he would cry when, when they'd have to input, like, his, like, his IVs and different things like that. And as soon as they were done, he would look at them and just smile. Like, I'm not mad at you. Yeah, like, like it's okay. Yeah. I know you were doing your job. I know. And it was just, like, it was so sad. And it came to a point in time where he had been poked with so many different needles and so many different things that, like, he wouldn't react to anymore. And that, like, broke my heart because it's, like, he's such a little guy. Yeah. And then he finally got discharged from the hospital. And then we had a couple different scares. And when he had gotten off oxygen, um... And he, luckily I was on, we kept his outlet on and totally saved him. Like, he, there's times where it's like he just stopped breathing and he just, you know, his brain wasn't, maybe it was quite developed and he just stopped breathing and we were able to kind of revive him and he was okay. And 
Um, not easy to tr- ever travel with a crewmate. I had a nightmare with like Delta, and they wouldn't let his oxygen on. It was just freezing, and they were gonna kick me off flight. And so I had not fun stuff. Um, but like, like, bro, just let me in anyway. I know they were ridiculous, but like, um, anyway. So he was doing really well for a while, and then it was like in October of that year that he got RSV, and that's like for those who don't know, it's like a death sentence for crewmates. They say like, and I had I felt like we were all waited on bated breath for the longest time being like okay well we're past this thing here now what's the next step like now here's the next thing and like we didn't know if you'd make it past one year old and didn't know if you'd make past 10 like 10 days old like all these crazy things and so that they said that that is something you have to be so careful about because rsv is targeting the lungs Mm -hmm. and so he gets it and we you have to get go in to get their like all of their nasal cavities sucked out um and so but the places that we were trying to get it on, like, they, they didn't ha- – because of COVID, they didn't have it nearby. So we had to go all the way up to Primary Children's to get it sucked out. And we had to do it multiple times a day. And I would live all the way down in Vineyard. And so it was, like, a 40-minute drive. Oh, my gosh. And then um, – this this honestly was kind of a little bit of a miracle in disguise, but it didn't seem so in the time. He contracted COVID from Primary Children's. Oh, no. So he gets tested for RSV officially again. And they said, oh, well, he came back positive with COVID. And then when you have positive COVID, you can't go to any of the RSV suction clinics. And that's how he breathes, like his oxygen tanks. He had to get put back on oxygen at the time. So we go into this, um, the hospital, like the ER, and we have, there's a specific PA, which I had, in, I had, I had some bleeding during pregnancy, which I, and I was in a lot of pain and I didn't love this PA, but I got assigned to him again. And he was like, You're, I think your son's fine. We're going to just send him home. And in the meantime, before he had said that, a doctor had come in. And he was like, no, we're going to admit him because, like, he needs to get suctioned out and stuff. And, and, like, another nurse is like, maybe just treat the ER like a suction clinic. And I'm like, at this point, we had already accrued literally, like, $1.5 million in, like, medical bills for this this <laughs> perfect little boy. But, um. You're like, I can't just, um, come to the ER. Like, every five seconds. And it's also, there's so much sickness there, too. Yeah, you're like, I don't want to become the intern. Yeah. And he was just talking about, he's like, like then so then the doctor's like, we're going to admit him. And then the PA comes back in and the doctor's not there. And he's like, yeah, so I think we're going to send you home. I think he's totally fine. And he's like, he's like, when I was in medical school, I just brought my baby up with some of my medical books. Like, you could try something like that. And it was just like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so done. And I'm like, and I looked at him to an eye and I'm like, like, there's times where it's like hard because, like, you have to advocate for your child. And you're like, nope, the doctor said he's going to get admitted. And he's like, oh, okay. And he just leaves. And so he gets admitted. And that night, his oxygen dr- drops down from its normal range is like 90 to like 100 you don't want to stay 100 too long because that can cause issues but um it dropped down to 50 and um it was interesting because people would like different times things would happen i know how to measure his oxygen they're like well his lips aren't blue so he's not 50 and i'm like yeah he is check him right now and they're like oh he is and it's like usually babies lips aren't blue if unless they're 50 for a while yeah it's like that's when they're cyanotic and it's yes. been long enough that their body like it's literally out of oxygen still exactly but and like, <sighs> And so, like, the, this doctor is like, I'm pretty sure you've been reading stuff wrong. Like, the PA is like, you're not reading stuff right. The doctor trusts me, thank heavens. He gets admitted. And then because because he had COVID, because he couldn't, because he, and they're not actually worried about babies with COVID because mm-hmm. COVID has shown, at least so far, not to affect babies. RSV is the killer there. And so, luckily, because of COVID, though, he got admitted and we got, he got to have a suction clinic and he was, he was in the hospital and they could, um, they could suction him out constantly and so he was able to breathe and stuff but it's still really scary because like he went from breathing on his own to having to have like almost as much as ox support as when he was in a month in NICU like it was crazy and so luckily after about I think we were there for five days and he was able to go home 
and it was like really great and then we had a couple other health scares since then like he has we had like uh we have occupational therapists come to my home and we have like physical therapists come to my home to like check up on him mm-hmm. and he had some issue absorbing iron and so they and some other issues with his blood platelets or something like that and they were concerned that he had maybe leukemia um he didn't thank heavens Yes. <laughs> That's where the story turns now. I no, he's he's okay now. But like, but like, but it was so scary because then the doctor didn't call me back, and so I literally like was panicked that You're I couldn't like breathe. Oh yeah. my gosh! I'm like, my son has leukemia, and I I knew he's like, well, if I don't, he's like, if I don't call you back, it could be because I'm just busy, or it could be because it's good news. But I was calling the office, and they're like, he hasn't even looked at it yet, and like, he ended up not looking at the charts for like maybe it was a. I don't remember exactly, but it was a different, it was a different doctor we had gone to because we had gone to for emergency for a week. Oh my gosh. So luckily I'm, oh, sorry, excuse me. That's <laughs> just my, you're fine. my like, hold on for my, okay, sorry, I have to have glucose reading, but, um, so luckily I am like just done with everything at this point and I'm like, I'm going to go to the hospital and request his records. So I go in and I get all his records and I call up my father-in-law who's a doctor and I was like, read the charts, tell me what's going on. He's like everything's fine. Like he looks okay, and so he just has low iron absorption and other things, and so he was okay. And then, like ever since then, it's been like, it's been really good. I think he had like one other health scare. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, he was in a lot of pain. Then he went to the hospital and they couldn't figure it out, and so he had to get X-rays and stuff. Whoops. And it was totally fine. But like right now, he's a year and a half adjusted, and um, he's still too tiny. He's in nine month old clothes. It's fine. Um, but they. Like, he's graduated from, like, all of his occupational therapy. He's graduated from most of his physical therapy. And they're, like, the people that come over, like, they're shocked that he's a preemie. Like, they're, like, obviously he's teeny. But, like, they said, like, the way his head's developed, he's totally fine. Like, he, he's super healthy. Like, his his brain, his cognitive functioning is incredible. And I just feel, like, so grateful. I mean, of course, like, even if he had any of those issues, I, I wouldn't have cared. He's, I'm his mom. Yes. You know, like, I still would have wanted to be his mom. But, like, yes. right now he's doing so well and they're shocked at how well he's doing like a lot of the doctors think that he did so well is because like of the kangaroo care which is like the skin to skin because it actually like it it's like it prevents failure to thrive and like it helps them like really just go forward and like they, they've seen so many different instances like where if you the more people can do skin to skin the, the faster they actually can get out of the NICU mm-hmm. it's not with everyone but it happens they say that there's a strong correlation with it and so I feel so grateful for that and he's doing so well now and yeah. he's like at like he goes to, to um my work's daycare three days a week and it's this cute little private daycare and has all his best friends he's been there he's been going ever since he was hmm, shoot six months adjusted so i think was he nine months i'm trying to remember maybe i like it's been a minute since he's been going yeah he has, and like, he goes th- he goes two days a week or three days a week now and he loves it there and it's so fun and he, d- he does really 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 well and he's the sweetest little angel and it's like he's honestly the easiest baby which sounds so funny because it's like he's gone through like so many hardships yes. but it's almost like he's done with it oh he also at one point too he had to get ear tubes surgery for ear tubes <laughs> but um because he had chronic ear infections yeah <laughs> like, there's like what what else is there but like john my husband like he had ear infections and he actually couldn't hear until he was and he didn't start speaking until he was four years old and he started speaking in sentences of course he did <laughs> and you know like yeah over here and so but because of that like his little sister sarah got ear tubes and was totally fine okay. and so we just told him like we have history of this like and so that and he had back to back to back to back to back to back to back ear infections for like four months where he, they had, he was on like seven different rinds of antibiotics and it's not good for this tiny little body and so he has ear tubes now and those are great and so, but like uh, we love those um <laughs> but everything's good everything's great like I think like the biggest thing I learned is just like I don't know just like 
appreciating every moment like it really did make me kind of look back at every moment and you do have some triggers like like last night I was looking at like photos of like Teddy like when he was the size of a dollar bill and it's just like it's hard to think back to those times because it's like and like or if you like I was visiting Nikki with him and you hear the alarms go off for like bradycardias which is like when your heart rate drops mm-hmm. yeah tachycardia is high bradycardia is low and and they're like oh no another Brady and they say like how well he's doing depending on how many Brady's he has mm-hmm. and it was just like so triggering um and then like but right now he's doing really good and um, I'm a little nervous to get pregnant again because because of when it happened. The doctors, ask, <laughs> yes, so. when the doctors said like how severe it happened, they said that my chance of it happening again are about sixty percent. So it's pretty high still. And what's interesting is it's actually they don't know totally know why, but like if I say John died and I had a new husband, my chance of it happening would be almost hundred percent again. They said that the more times you get pregnant with the same the same partner, it's like your chances go down again go down. Um, but it's it's nerve-wracking. I have a lot of moms who have given birth twice, and the second time around, some people have died. Second time around, they have to get a full hysterectomy, like all these different things. And so, um, I mean, if I could afford it, I would love surrogate. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have great yeah. eggs and stuff, but yes. it's just like – and but it's just like – but we're just taking everything time to time. But because of that, I'm like, I really need to figure out my health because mm-hmm. if we're wanting to have kids again. And, like, I need to figure out everything. I need to figure not only my health, but also my mental health and all these different things. And so, like, in 2021, like, when everyone's writing down, their, like, their New Year's resolutions, and I'm like, I only have one, and it's just to figure out my health. Because I was so sick. I was sick when I gave pregnant. I was sick when I gave birth. I would, like, literally feed him and just lay on the ground, and I felt, like, comatose. Mm. And I was so confused by it, and I was still having issues with food or whatever. And then I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. And I couldn't figure it out. And I went to a doctor after doctor after doctor, and they're like, it's psychosomatic nothing's wrong with you I, we've tested your hormone levels sorry that's nope, my glucose monitor don't worry um we tested your hormone levels oh, wait, we actually don't we, we can't test your hormone levels because we're, you're still breastfeeding but like we tested we tested a million different things you're totally fine you're fine you're fine your blood works normal a million different things and so um it was just one thing after another and then um i found out like very soon into my my journey with like my health that like your mental health is so closely related to it like your mental health like and like PTSD and stuff like that from like even just like giving birth like that like affects your vagal nerve which is like your vagus nerve Mm -hmm. which is like throughout your body which also affects your gut and your gut health affects everything Everything. Mm -hmm. yeah and so I I found out pretty soon that like it's all one like it's not all one and the same but they're so close to everything is interconnected and I feel like that's such a health disparity that people don't understand yes and you try and treat like anxiety and it's like yeah I know kind of the root problem yes figure out all the other things that are interconnected to like change your whole health picture and I mean obviously it's easier to say that than do it but to see that you've already kind of made that connection I hope that you're closer to like feeling better oh my gosh it's actually crazy because like I like for the long I'm trying to find answers and I'm reading a million different books I'm going to a million different doctors and like a lot of different things have to do with like inflammation and like non-inflammation and people talking about things that help with your health and you're like guess what like if you exercise that helps reduce inflammation and when you eat certain foods it can help it makes you have inflammation and inflammation causes a million different things and like bad mental health and stress causes more inflammation like there's a million different things and so I found out very quickly and I like I had already been going to therapy throughout all of it and I was actually really grateful because my actual therapist that I was going to throughout it all she actually had a very similar story than mine like she gave birth at 30 weeks mm-hmm. so it's so great to talk to someone who got it yeah. and um but like you can't you can't just like go and try to treat the symptoms and like ignore the other part of it like there's there's also like the spirit i feel like i'm learning about all these things like the spiritual side of it like 
the connection of it. And there's like there's this book called the it's, it's called the Heart Math Solution, mm-hmm. and it's Heart Math Institute, and they're actually scientifically able to prove like your heart has an intelligence and like it actually can like the the magnetic field can affect your health it's crazy Mm. and so it's cool because they're kind of scientifically now coming around full circle and being like oh just let you know that like oh your like spirituality can actually be proven to affect your health and it's crazy and like all these cool things but I'm so I'm going through this whole journey and trying to figure out my health and um I stumble across well no no this is a little later but I had a really tough situation with like work is really stressful but I also had bad health and I was in the ER I believe four or five different times because I was constantly throwing up I couldn't keep any food down and I looked like I was dead and I go in the ER and they give me fluids and I would feel so much better but they're like we think it was just some freak virus and that would happen again and then would happen again it would happen again and then I'm like, am I just getting salmonella over and over again? Yeah, like, like, what's going what on? What is happening? Literally, it was so bad I couldn't ignore it anymore. And yeah. I, I was still at the point where it was like years ago where every time I'd eat, I'd have to go lay down because I'd feel sick. But, and on the weekends, I'd also, I was also asleep for most of the weekends. And then it's happened for years. And everyone's like, well, maybe it's because like you have ADHD and you're taking Adderall. And I'm like, mm, okay, I don't think that's what it is, yeah. but whatever. Yeah. I was brushed off a million times. And so then um, I it was like kind of a miracle because I went to the ER once and they were like... <laughs> It's just a bunch of, it was the same ER where, like, got a rapport with Teddy. But, like, these guys did not know what to do with me. Like, like some, woman health isn't studied as much as men's health because that's, like, wh- where it started out. Like, and and they just looked at me. They're like, we're not really sure what to do with you. So we're going to have you check up with your gynecologist. And I'm like, they're like, I'm like, I- I'm not pregnant. My gynecologist? Why? Why? <laughs> and it's literally, I said, I sent my gynecologist. Thank heavens my normal gynecologist wasn't there. And it was this new girl and her assistant. And she was awesome. They're like, first of all, why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know. They don't know what to do with me. <laughs> like, I've been to the ER so many times. So they're like, are you pregnant? And I'm like, I have an IUD. I'm like, I'm not yeah, pregnant. Like, I'm, not. No I'm definitely not pregnant. Anyway, all these different things. And then um, and then they're like, yeah, there's – and she said, oh, well, actually, I have gut issues too. And I went to this one lady, and she was amazing. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I got her information, and she did this whole panel. She's um, – She's down in Provo, and I'm trying to remember her name, Millie Harper, I believe. Okay. But she's she's a doctor, but she also does, like, supplements and, like, holistic and all the different things about it. But, um, so, like, she does the, all the things. Anyway, so I got tested for SIBO, which is, like, small, bacteri- small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Mm-hmm. And I did have that. And a lot of girls, they think, have it now. Like, it's a, it's a very common thing. Anyway, so I got that treated, and I had – she went through and was doing, like, your allergies. Like, you can run blood tests on your allergies mm-hmm. for, like, antibodies and stuff. I was extremely allergic to gluten. Big surprise there. <laughs> and extremely allergic to wheat. Ex- and then just as allergic to eggs. So that was new. No Sorry. Way. Eggs too. Yes. And that's in everything. And so I just told myself, like, Anna, you got to be real with yourself. Like, I feel like I'm going to be eating salads the rest of my life. I know. So. I'm like, you just have to. I'm like, you have to ask yourself. It's like, is it worth it to you? And I still, I was so bad. I went on the protocol and I didn't eat gluten. But then she's like, maybe you can go back on it. But I was also allergic to oats. Oats. Most nuts, like almonds, um, I was allergic to rice, like anything that was on there. The only thing I was allergic to was chocolate. Okay. And it's, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like big one for me. But like, um, so she's like, we're going to ignore those allergies though, because yours are so like, if they said if it, you're over like a certain parameter, you're definitely allergic. But mine was, it was like, it was like you're over three something, you're allergic. Mine was at like 40 for gluten and like 10 and 15 for the other ones. So, like, we're just going to treat gluten for now. You also have leaky gut syndrome, which I don't know tons about, but, like, let's heal your gut. 
So we're going to like we're trying to figure out trying to heal my gut, and like that was a big jump in my in my health. Like I I did really really well. Um, my I started feeling better, and then I'm like I'm gonna start back on gluten because I love gluten, and then I started having these weird episodes where I had slept all day long, and I couldn't get up, and I'm like I think I have chronic fatigue syndrome. I don't know what's going on, and my brother had had something experienced something similar than that, but I just couldn't figure it out. But also like. Over the years, everyone always laughed at me how dramatic I was because I'd almost like almost pass out or I almost throw up all the time, and I was still getting morning sickness every single day, even though I was already way past giving birth. And so I talked to one of my friends, and she's like, "Oh, well, this is how gluten affects me. I if you're severely allergic to it, rather than just like having intolerance, when people do have intolerance, I swear nowadays, but like, um, I almost wish it was celiac, because then I then I would have told myself like, you just don't touch it. Yes. But I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna do it. And so, but then I started noticing a trend that like I'd eat gluten in the next day, like. It would sometimes be that day. The next day, though, I would be essentially like what it felt like deep in deep COVID. Like I would be achy all over. I am um, super sick, and I could I would sleep the whole day away. Like I could, literally couldn't open my eyes. I was so foggy, and brain fog was real. And so I just like when I realized it was gluten, it was like light bulb moment, and I'm like, okay, I just can't take this anymore. Yeah. And then there was other things too that were really sad for me because I love my dark pepper. And it's my favorite thing ever. And I, I just started noticing. I was really honest with myself, and it like it works for some people. It just didn't, didn't sit well with me. It made me feel worse, and so I cut that Dang out, it. which is that like so sad. Is, like devastating. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Like that is my favorite thing ever. I will never cut out cheese because I'm obsessed. No. But if you have aged cheese that has less like casein in it, which is like what people are usually allergic to, like mm-hmm. the lactase. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to have like older and aged cheese, and I love those. But so I was like, okay, I'm off gluten now. And then a little while later, um, I mentioned earlier, like TikTok is a kind of an interesting community for like health stuff. Yes. I come across this video for POTS syndrome. It's postural tachycardia. Postural or oh, it's a static tachycardia syndrome. I'm like, I literally, I, I'm like, I call it POTS, and everyone's like, "Are you high all the time? What?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, it's literally like." I'm, You're like, I just don't know how to say the real word. That's what I mean. Literally. <laughs> And I'm like, it's so ironic that I'm like, like I, I totally sound like it's, I'm just high, it's fine. But um, it's essentially where, like, you're kind of allergic to gravity. Like, your blood pressure can't regulate. And so, like, in order to deal with it, I have to, I have, to have, like, 5,000, is it, like, 5,000 grams? It's, it's, like, 10 times the amount of people have sodium, people have to have in their normal day-to-day, I have to have. Wow. And I have to be on constant liquid IVs, that really helps with it. But there's only, like, two people in Utah that can diagnose it. So I'm bringing all my charts, and, like, essentially, like, I would go for, I would stand up and almost pass out. And for the longest time, I thought it was just low ironemia. Like, mm-hmm. everyone talks about that. Yeah. And then I, my, it wouldn't click with me until my sister was like, oh, well, I thought it was low iron, too. And then I went and got this tested because she has similar stuff. And I was like, my iron levels are actually too high. And I was like, oh, my gosh, with all those tests I did for my gut, my iron levels are totally fine. And cause I, but you'd assume them to be low. Cause, and so I always just brushed it off saying I'm not having enough iron. That's why I'm feeling this way. And then I found, I'm like, oh, maybe it's POTS. I found someone in Utah that they have one at the U that diagnoses it, and they have one actually down by me in, like, American Fork. Okay. And I go in, and, like, in order to diagnose it, you do something called, like, a tilt table test where you're, like, upside down, and they, like, measure, like, how your blood pressure changes. And so, like, what happens is, like, my resting heart rate is actually pretty low. It's, like, 55. Um, and that's just, like, naturally how it is. It's not because I'm, like, particularly active or anything. Yeah. But, like, when I stand up, it goes, like, 130. And it's, it's, it's totally crazy. And so like, I, I, but I didn't really like put two and two together. And like, I just like, I'm like, oh, my heart rate. Like, I literally didn't even know like what was an appropriate heart range. I remember in in college, I would do exercising and I would be like, okay, well, I'm running on treadmill and my heart rate is 197. (laughs) 
and I'm and like, that's like, normal. How are you alive? I didn't know that was bad. And so I literally, this is how bad it was. And like, of course, the more you work out, your heart can adjust. Yes. I would work out until my heart rate would start, and then I'd work out that same workout. I'd be like, certain, certain speed, sorry, um, certain speed, certain like incline, and then I come back like a couple days later, and it, my heart would adjust, and I would make it higher, so my heart would go to 197 because I thought that was normal. And, and every single time I'd go on, like, a super easy hike with my family, and, like, i look at, like, my Apple Watch stats, and they were through the roof. You're like, I'm burning 12,000 calories. <laughs> Literally. Right. They're, like, they're like you're doing a high-intensity workout, and I'm like, I just went for a walk. What? Yeah. And so they essentially kind of talk about, like, POTS is essentially, like, running a marathon, like, for your, the equivalency of running a marathon for your heart every day. Mm. And it's just, like, it's just really rough on your heart. And so, like, you have to um, – like, so, like, I was always so confused why I would get so much burned out faster than everyone else. Of course, like, regular exercise can definitely help with it. But um, it's also really hard to, like, get the energy to do stuff. And so, like, I went and got diagnosed. I brought all this stuff to the doctor, and he just laughs. Like, not at me, but he's like, this isn't even a question of whether you have it. Yeah. Like, you 100% have it. He's like, I can go do a tilt table test, but, like, it's going to tell me the exact same thing that all of these charts are telling me. Mm-hmm. And he also, like, did a billion different blood tests because sometimes like pots can be kind of be triggered by other viruses and stuff like that like a lot of people will have like epstein-barr virus and it mm-hmm. kind of triggers similar symptoms i don't have any of that and i've been tested for this stuff for years and it was so funny because out of it when i officially got diagnosed i got all the people in my dms being like actually you don't have pots you actually just have a hypothyroidism and i was like oh really and i'm like i wish i had that because yeah, <laughs> it's like, like it would be much more simple i know I, I mean it's not easy that's definitely hard but um, th- you take medicine and it helps balance it. And I, I got tested that years and years and years ago. And POTS is not well known. Yeah. And a lot of I doctors. Mean, I literally had not heard of it until I saw your Instagram. And I was like, shit, what is this? I should yeah. look it up. But I think, but what's crazy is that a lot of people are getting diagnosed with it now a lot more. Because for the longest time, it primarily happens in women. It's not always. But, hey, this is psychosomatic and you're just anxious. <laughs> and guess what? Like, you, you sleeping all day and feeling nauseous all the time and throwing up if you get into a hot. Like, if I get into a hot car. I will almost pass out and throw up um, because, like, my my veins expand, but my, my blood pressure does not adjust, and my heart rate yeah, speeds up. You don't have the fluid volume exactly. to, like, compensate for the change in your environment, and so your body is going in hyperdrive yeah. literally every time. And people are like, why don't you just, like, work out more? And, like, I'm, like, I'm going to work out all the time. Yeah, and, like, like <laughs> I walk to the fridge twice my workout. I know. Like, it's crazy. And, like, what was so weird, too, is, like, people were like, are you okay? Cause you've like lost so much weight. And I'm like, girl pots for you. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like literally like, I'm not, uh, it was just like, I'm, I'm, it was just crazy. Cause it's like, you really do burn a ton of calories yeah. and I have multiple fitness trackers. Like I have my aura ring that I wear all the time. And if I don't, if I forget my Apple watch, which I usually do. Mm-hmm. And I have my Apple watch. And then recently I've gotten um, a Dexcom app to um, monitor. Like I have all, all the time to monitor my glucose levels. Cause glucose levels, there's kind of, you can, you can kind of see a bigger picture of your health been trying to figure out my heart rate variability and all these different things and like those are my beeps you've been hurting my glucose levels have been high and I (laughs) you know fun (laughs) but like I've just been trying to figure out my health and like the correlation between my pots and what I've been eating and stuff and I think what's hard is I there's two different kinds of pots well there's there's actually a couple different kinds but they can cause the different things um there's hyperadrenic which has to do with has to do with um like uh like your adrenaline pumping all the time and um, so, like, when people go through a lot of stressful situations, uh, you can get stuck in fight or flight. And it's it's actually, so you have fight or flight, and then actually there's a point in fight or flight where your body actually is preparing to die. <laughs> and if you go through enough PTSD, your body's thinking, like, oh, are you constantly about to get killed? Mm-hmm. Or whatever, like, stressful situations, like, college is so stressful. But your body doesn't know that it's just papers. Yeah. 
And so it can actually adjust and get stuck into a fight or flight. And to the point where you always have like adrenaline running through your body and cortisol and st- it's stress all the time and it ages your body like crazy and causes chronic health issues. And so like I have hyperadrenic pots, which is like it's caused by adrenaline, but also what's hard too is if I have a pot spike or if I get stressed, um, it sends like normally when you get adrenaline put through your body, you feel amped up and you're ready to go. Mine completely depletes me of energy because I'm already having it all the way through. And so then it triggers my pots and I collapse. And so it's like, but then I also have low blood pressure pots, which I, there's another word for it, but I don't, I don't remember. But because um, because your naturally your blood doesn't doesn't have that much volume in it. Mm-hmm. And so that and so I donated blood in high school and they were like, I literally threw up and like it was terrible. And I was sick for a long time afterwards. And they're like, it's not for everyone. Please do not come back. And I told that to my doctor. I was like, is this because of pots? And he's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, were you sick for months? And I was like, yeah, I'm weak. And he's like, that's totally normal because, like, your body couldn't make up the blood volume. Like, you didn't have enough. And, like, normally, like, I wasn't always great about drinking water just in general, but I have to drink, like, at least a gallon, or at least, like, minimum, that's a minimum. And then I have to have a bunch of, like, liquid IVs to keep my, like, blood, like, blood, all this stuff up. And then, like, I recently, like, I've had to, sorry. Um, so yeah, this. Like, girl, I need to, like, <laughs> tone it down so your blood glucose goes down. I know, seriously. <laughs> well, it's so funny because, like, they're, like, on this app so it's like there's this there's this place I got it through this um, company called Levels and my doctor was just recommending different things and like okay like maybe let's just try to see correlations with like your health and try to figure out what triggers your pots and different things so it's it's like I don't have I don't have diabetes and so like I don't need a glucose monitor for that and but anyway so it's the kind of it just right here on my hip and it's measured all the time and you watch for trends like what kind of things spike what's so interesting is they're like they and they give you advice they say oh, go exercise and it'll help you maintain your glucose mm-hmm. levels mm-hmm. so i'm looking at my chart from yesterday i'm out at work and i'm watching my glucose spikes and i'm just laughing so i'm like that's when i went for a walk around for a one-on-one with my boss a walk and and then when you're doing high intensity exercise your body releases glucose mm-hmm. so you can have energy, energy yes but my body when i'm going on a simple walk thinks I'm like it's it's essentially running a marathon yeah because that's 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 how hard my heart has to be Mm -hmm. to do something as simple as as like running like I'm walking Walking. and so like my body's like so like my glucose are just going crazy so it's so hilarious and like how am I supposed to do this and like it's just like when I'm walking my body thinks I'm going through a marathon and my my heart has to pump that hard and like I remember I ran track in like element not elementary like junior high high school and like I was so beat up afterwards and I was coughing for the longest time and I'm like I'm like I'm such a wimp what is going on like I just need to train harder da, da. and but now I'm like learning more and more about my health and like how different things are like correlated with it and trying to figure out just everything and I mean like I, I, I there's plenty of people out there who have all these issues and they're like is this in my head or they're gaslit yeah. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. when you find like some semblance of an answer it's so nice I mean there's not really a cure for pots um but like I I know different triggers like so it's funny because if I get excited about something or worked up my blood pressure can spike because that's your stress levels going up your blood pressure can spike because you're working out your blood pressure can spike because you ate sugary stuff and so like I'm trying to maintain like a good balance of like if you eat like there's a reason that people like when you go to a restaurant you have salad first because if you eat fiber and protein and then carbs it's, it helps you absorb it better into your bloodstream versus like there isn't as much as a spike mm-hmm. so I'm trying to like figure all yeah, of that out together your whole <laughs> picture which you're amazing I'm like Ugh. for you to try and take control because honestly as, as I've listened to your entire story like one of the biggest things that we see in the health world is this big gap in women's health yeah it's the lack of research it's the lack of attention it's the lack of just like validating women's health concerns 
that are now, you know, we're seeing kind of this new wave of doctors that are finding women's health more interesting and, you know, spending the time researching there and, like, there are things that are coming out, like you being able to be diagnosed with POTS, where oh like my gosh. 15 years ago, no, no way, would have been like tossed away and been like, "Girl, mm-hmm. go take a nap. You have anxiety. Maybe don't have another baby." Yeah, they're like, like, you know what like I mean? "Oh, do we need to like prescribe you more Xanax?" Like, no, <laughs> like but really, but really, really, like all of these problems were just not addressed mm-hmm. um, necessarily in the most oh yeah productive way. But like to see you have gone through all of these doctors not listening to you. Mm-hmm you like learning to become your own advocate yeah. and like taking it totally on yourself to kind of figure out your health picture like I'm just like what an example to all of us <laughs> because there will probably be a moment in everyone's life where like they feel like they're not being listened to and to have an example of someone that's like was an advocate for themselves mm-hmm. that they can look to and be like yo maybe this is actually something else and I'm not just going to sit with the answer I was yeah. given like that's just so beneficial to know that you can do that <laughs> and like You'll yes. probably actually end up in a more positive place if you try and, like, figure something out on your own. You Absolutely. Know? And I don't even – that's funny, too, is, like, a lot of people get, like, really – go more holistic with everything, and they're like, mm-hmm. I don't trust doctors. I still trust doctors. I still think Western medicine is amazing. Yes. And yeah. I think it's just, like, balance and everything. Like, I'm trying to figure out balance with, like, between, you know, what I'm eating, all the different things. And then, like, another thing that I did earlier this year that was amazing um, is, like, if you have really bad fight or flight or you're stuck in it like that – um, you you can actually get a stellium ganglion blocker injected into your central nervous system, which is which is also a local anesthetic, and so essentially just shuts off your fight or flight for a couple hours. Yeah. I got that done twice, and it was amazing. And I like my anxiety and depression like was like whoo, like yeah. gone for a while. And then I went through some like traumatic stuff and like uh, with work and like life and stuff, and it like kind of got me locked back into it again. But like that, it's like Stella Gate or something like that like was the best thing ever, and I think it actually helped my pots for a while too because mine yeah. is hypergenic pots. Yeah. But it's, it's so interesting, and, like, it's just the balance and everything, right? Like, you – I still trust doctors. Yes. It's just finding the right doctors. Yes. And I think it's just balance in all the things. Like, recognizing that also if I have bad mental health, <laughs> that um, I um, – like, it'll make my pots worse and stuff like that. And so it's just balance in everything and, like, trusting yourself. And it's funny because, like, a lot of my answers I found on TikTok, which sounds hilarious. What but an amazing resource. Yeah, and a lot of people, like, there's a lot of really cool accounts out there that, like, yeah. will tell, will go, and, I, and I'm, and i yes, I'm that person that goes on, like, IMDb, no, IMDb, that's, like, literally for, like, movies, my husband's <laughs> in film. Um, I'm the person who goes on to WebMD, and yeah. was like, I must have cancer. Yeah, totally. Because, <laughs> like, look like, at all your symptoms. symptoms. Yeah. And so, like, and I think that, like, and everyone's like, Anna, you're such a hypochondriac. And then when I finally got diagnosed, I'm like, well, I wonder why I've been sick for these many years. Yeah. And it was very validating to feel that. But with all these... I mean, like, um, my mom gets worried about me when I, like, she's like, don't classify yourself as, like, autistic ADHD, anxiety, like, all these things. She's like, I don't want it to hold you back. But, like, for me, I feel like all these things, it's almost like you're getting a manual for how you work. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I now know that I have POTS, so I need to try to keep myself cool, like, not physically hot. And I have to really work on a lot of the things. But it's like, I, once you get these things, I think the worst thing that it can do for someone is, is give them an excuse. But, like, I have POTS, so I'm just, I don't have to do this stuff for more so I look at it as like you have a new manual or I have I have like I know some people that like with autism you're not as good as socially interacting and so when they found out they had autism they just threw it out their door and they're like I'm just gonna be rude and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. um it, I don't like it like that like I in, in school and ADHD like I could not focus in class but I got really good grades because I, I taught myself everything again I went home and retaught myself everything and so I feel like it's more of a stepping stone. And if you view your diagnosis as all you are, it can be very diminishing. Mm-hmm. 
And I think I've kept a pretty positive outlook on different things because, and I think you kind of have to, but like, otherwise your diagnosis becomes you. And so that's, I think the biggest takeaway for me is like, as I'm getting diagnosed with other things, not using it as an excuse being like, oh, I can do this now because I have POTS, like, or an excuse for this. It's more so learning how to take care of myself and move forward. And then like, also like with, with the social aspect of like autism, it's like telling people like, hey, just let you know, like I'm now open about, I wasn't open about it for a while because there's a stigma around it. But, um, like, it's okay to cut me off if I'm, like, talking a really long time. Like, like and that's also part of my ADHD. But it's just, like, but also taking responsibility for myself. Because I think it's the biggest thing. Because, like, when people get different diagnoses, they're, like, they they use that diagnosis as pushing away their responsibility. Yeah, like yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where you get in trouble. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of people with ADHD, as soon as they got diagnosed, they're, like, I'm just going to take my Adderall, and I'm just not going to try now. And if I can't focus on class, whatever. And, like, I you have to find out what works for you. And you have to listen to your body. And, like, so for now, it's, like, this year, I'm, like, trying to figure out my health and get to a stable place. And from from what I've talked to my POTS doctor, they don't think that POTS affects pregnancy negatively. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it could be a million different things. They're not sure why preeclampsia is caused. I think that it has something to do with, like, yeah, I'm everything. Like, I would be really curious to see the yeah. research that comes out. Because there's just Obviously not that much more research. Yeah. POTS. Like, it would just be amazing to see if there's any correlation. Because I would likely think that you know obviously the stress that your heart is already under in pots yeah that additional stress brought on by preeclampsia like i just that's probably why you were never able to be yeah. brought down to a stable range totally like that's what my brain says but obviously we'll no have to see as the research i know i'm like i'm cool. so excited and like yeah. i think it's i think it's really neat and really cool to like to learn about all that stuff and i'm like i really want to have more kids i yeah. mean john joked that we want three and so i'm like hope we're praying You're that gonna be your own it's gonna study. be a twin or it's gonna be twins because yes. <laughs> yes. twins have to give Two birth and early anyway yep. and so i'm like that's like kind of what we're what we're hoping for but it's it. but it's great anyway we'll so that's my check back in with you in like crazy long story <laughs> where you are on your health yeah <laughs> well thanks for having me on i really of appreciate course. it well you guys i hope in listening today you learned a powerful lesson of persistence and advocacy when it comes to taking control of your own health but also that you walk away in awe at Anna's incredible strength and her resilience and perseverance through her own health challenges and her son's struggles to beat all the odds. If you're not already, follow me along on Instagram and TikTok at undereducated.pod and catch us here next week for another episode. Mm-hmm.